BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, and welcome to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and today we're going to talk about bicarb, sodium bicarb, and why it is evil, at least in lactic acidosis. But first, I want to draw your attention to a really interesting study that came out recently, actually came out ahead of print and will come out in print sometime in the new year, called the Vanks study. This is a study by Hajar and colleagues in Brazil, and it's a single-center randomized trial comparing vasopressin at doses up to 0.06 units per minute, which is higher than we normally think of using it up to 0.04, versus norepinephrine for patients with vasoplegic shock after cardiac surgery. Now, I found this particularly interesting because I spend a lot of time attending in the cardiac surgical ICU here at Hopkins, and so this trial is really appropriate. We're actually talking about this a lot right now in our intensivist group and with our surgical colleagues to think about whether with patients who have a reasonable cardiac index, and in this trial it was defined as having a cardiac index greater than 2.2, therefore the shock, if they were hypotensive refractory to fluids with a cardiac index greater than 2.2, they were thought to be in uh, vasoplegic shock. And so the idea of using norepinephrine uh, or actually using vasopressin as a first line and going up to 0.06 is something that we haven't usually done, but that's really interesting. So I encourage you to take a look at this article. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, It's published in or will be published in anesthesiology. Uh, And again, Think about how you treat at your institution. How do you treat vasoplegic shock? Is anyone out there using vasopressin as a first line? Uh, if so, leave a comment at the website, acrac.com, A-C-C-R-A-C.com, uh, so everyone can hear your comments. You can, of course, always email me, acrac at acrac.com, and on the website, you can sign up for our mailing list. So check it out. Hajar and colleagues, the Vanks, V-A-N-C-S, the Vanks study coming out in anesthesiology. The other thing, of course, to note here is that there were no increased levels of adverse events with the vanc- uh, with the vasopressin. So one might worry with doses up to 0.06 about gut ischemia uh, or other things, but there were uh, there was none no increased rates of those adverse events. And very interestingly, and the reason that this is so intriguing actually is not only was it uh, were there no increased adverse events, but uh, the vasopressin group actually had reduced rates of kidney injury, need for dialysis, and AFib, 
as well as reduced ICU and hospital length of stay. So some really intriguing findings. Check it out. All right, let's move on to one of my my favorite topics here, which is the evils of sodium bicarbonate in uh, at least when it comes to lactic acidosis. This is really a, uh, something that I have been interested in you know, for a while. I can't believe I haven't done a podcast on it yet. But uh, I, especially working at a cardiac surgical ICU, I find myself fighting against the urge to give bicarb all the time. And I think it's an interesting thing to explore and to see what other people out there think and what other practice is. So let me take you through some of the evidence that's out there. Now, a lot of this is going to be based around two articles that I recommend and, again, will list in the show notes. The first is by Sabatini. Uh, entitled Bicarbonate Therapy and Severe Metabolic Acidosis. That was published in the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology in 2009. And then the second is a fantastic review article from back in 2000, was published in Chest, and that one is by Forsyth and Schmidt, and it's entitled Sodium Bicarbonate for the Treatment of Lactic Acidosis. So a lot of the information I'm going to share with you here come from those two articles. So bicarb, as you probably know, is used fairly extensively people, even though it's been taken off the algorithm for cardiac arrest, people use it all the time in code situations. There are common beliefs out there that giving bicarb will improve right heart function. It will improve response to vasopressors, at least catecholamine vasopressors, and that any time a patient is severely acidotic, we should give it. And I would argue that none of these things are true, and the articles that I mentioned support this pretty completely. So uh, Forsyth and Schmidt, they basically start by saying, look, there are uh, four main arguments that are used. One, that low pH in and of itself is bad because it impairs, usually the most common argument is because of the impairment in cardiac function. Number two, that bicarb can increase the pH. Number three, that raising the pH with bicarb will improve cardiac function. And finally, that any adverse events are outweighed by the benefits. So they go through one by one, and I think it's well done. So I think we can go through the same way one by one, and I'll kind of summarize what they come up with. So first of all, the question of whether low pH is bad. So certainly I was taught this from med school on. I'm sure all of you out there have heard the same thing. Acidosis is bad. You hear things like people will have arrhythmias, their pulmonary pressure will go way up, uh, and they will do very poorly. So again, remember, there's lots of things that are correlated, but don't have anything to do with causation. And we can think of many instances in medicine where it looks like something is causing something else, but it's not. So in this case, of course, people who are profoundly acidotic seem to die at a higher rate than people who are not, but that doesn't mean it's from the acidosis. It means that if you're sick enough to have a pH of 7.0, then you're probably in pretty bad shape, as opposed to your partner who may have a pH of 7.3 and is not in such bad shape. It doesn't mean that if you die, you're going to die from the acidosis, but it does mean that you may die. So the question then is not is having a low pH an indicator of badness, but is giving bicarb to treat it helpful at all or is it harmful? And backing up even a little more, is low pH really bad in and of itself? Not as a marker of something else, but is there a problem? Are those things we learn about low pH truly problematic? So one thing is that 
just because the blood pH, which is what we're measuring, is low, doesn't necessarily tell us anything about the intracellular pH or, interestingly, the mitochondrial pH, which may actually be the most important thing. But they may not be correlated. And in fact, there was at least one study which looked at this and found that the mitochondrial pH stayed normal even when the extracellular pH, the blood pH, was lowered from 7.4 all the way down to 6.9. So it may be that acidosis in the blood doesn't necessarily produce acidosis in the mitochondria or intracellularly and therefore may not be that big of a deal. Certainly, there are really interesting models that have been looked at now that we, with severe ARDS or severe status asthmaticus, we are allowing people to get quite hypercapnic. So for ARDS, for example, to keep those tidal volumes low and protect the lung, we let people get very hypercapnic. And when they get hypercapnic, they, of course, get very acidotic. And so there have been studies looking at these people and have found that when the pH falls from 7.4 down to 7.25 or so, even if it's fairly rapidly in less than an hour, they have actually lowered SVR and a higher cardiac output. Their pulmonary vascular resistance didn't change. So that's, a, that's quite striking because you'll hear people say that acidosis increases your pulmonary pressure. In someone with pulmonary hypertension, avoid acidosis by all means at all causes, and yet it turns out that in these people, when their pH dropped fairly abruptly, their PVR didn't change. Patients with pHs that got all the way down to 7.15 did not have increased arrhythmias, did not have decreased cardiac output. And there were some patients, though obviously many fewer, who their pH went all the way down to 7.0 or lower and still didn't have any of these complications. So it really calls into question this idea of whether pH being low in and of itself is a huge problem. It turns out that there are some other studies and models that find that acidosis actually may be a good thing. So when hepatocytes, for example, are exposed to an anoxic environment, if you take some and put them in an acidotic environment and others in a non-acidotic environment, the ones in the acidotic environment actually survive better. They don't get as much damage. They don't die as fast as the ones that are not acidotic. So there's something about that acidotic environment that's protective of those cells. Similarly, acidosis during reperfusion of the heart after an MI limits myocardial infarct size. So there's something about the acidosis that is protective of the myocardium as well. Now, lactate itself can cause some decreased cardiac contractility in animal models. So even when you buffer lactate to a pH of 7.4, but you're increasing the lactate, therefore, without causing an acidosis, you do see some decreased cardiac contractility. So why do we care about this? Because bicarb, sodium bicarb, increases the production of lactate. And that's been shown in multiple studies. So giving bicarb and therefore increasing the production of lactate can cause some decreased cardiac contractility by way of the lactate it produces, even if it's actually changing the blood pH to make it less acidotic. So that's a problem with bicarb. All right, so that first question of is low pH bad, there's at least a fair amount of data to call that into question. Maybe a low pH can even be protective in some environments. And remember, people all the way down to 7.0 still didn't have increased risk of arrhythmia. So you've got to question that again. Is, is that belief that we've sort of been taught all along, is that actually based on 
nothing other than what everyone's always said. All right, let's address the second question. Can bicarb raise the pH? Right? We just, of course, take that for an obvious assumption. Bicarb, of course, it raises the pH. That's why we give it. And so, again, it certainly can raise the blood pH. But in most studies and models that have looked at this, intracellular pH falls. So, again, where do we care about the pH? We can only measure it in the blood. But that doesn't mean that's where it's most important. Intracellularly, giving bicarb actually lowers the pH. It makes the intracellular environment more acidotic. And that's because the CO2 that's produced when bicarb is given can diffuse into the cells and then can get trapped in there, causing acidosis intracellularly. All right, how about the third question? What about increasing the blood pH, which is what we do with bicarb, assuming we can breathe off the CO2, does increasing the blood pH help? So there have been a variety of studies that have shown no difference in hemodynamic variables, including cardiac output, when giving bicarb as compared to giving saline. So giving bicarb, sure, you often can see the blood pressure go up, but you don't see it if you compare that to giving saline, it goes up the same amount. So the benefit you might see from bicarb transiently is just because it's a bolus of fluid. Now you may think, what do you mean a bolus is just 50 cc's, but that is the equivalent, that the tonicity of that is 1,000 milliequivalents per liter of sodium. It would be, you take a bag of normal saline, that's 154 milliequivalents per liter. That AMPA bicarb is 1,000 milliequivalents per liter. And so it draws in fluid into the intravascular space quite rapidly and delivers a large bolus of fluid to the heart. And so giving saline or giving bicarb, you're going to get that effect, but it doesn't, there's no benefit to the bicarb. Similarly, there's no difference in pulmonary pressures, cardiac output, or response depressors, even when you treat people with pHs down to 6.9. So that's really key. Let's say that again. There is no increased response to vasopressors with bicarb administration, even in very, very acidotic people. Now, it is true that acidosis can cause decreased expression of beta receptors and therefore a decreased response to catecholamines, but bicarb doesn't fix it. So it doesn't, there's something about the state of acidosis that causes that issue and giving bicarb does not make it better. It doesn't make people more responsive to catecholamine pressors, even though that's another thing that we hear all the time. So giving that bicarb doesn't help. People also say that bicarb helps with resuscitation from V-fib. I mentioned this up front. You still see people who code teams, V-fib arrest, and they'll give bicarb thinking that it will help the resuscitation. So this comes from one dog study which suggested this, but there have been multiple subsequent dog and human studies which showed that not only did it not help resuscitate, in many cases it makes it worse. So it is associated, bicarb in cardiac arrest is associated with worse mortality and really shouldn't be given. Let's move on to the fourth question. Does bicarb have negative effects? So there's certainly things we know about bicarb can cause hypervolemia, hyperosmolarity, hypernatremia. We see all the time patients who get multiple amps of bicarb because they're hypotensive or because they're acidotic will have sodiums of 150, 155. It turns out bicarb can cause a transient rise in 
ICP, intracranial pressure. It lowers PaO2, probably through, it's thought, worsening intrapulmonary shunt. So you get a decrease in PaO2 when you get bicarb, but somewhere between 5 and 15 millimeters of mercury. Humans who are made acidemic and then corrected with bicarb, and this is really interesting, have a left shift in the oxygen curve, and that wouldn't, that's not surprising. We know that alkalosis causes a left shift in the oxygen hemoglobin saturation curve, but what's really interesting is that that effect lasted up to eight hours, even after the alkalosis resolved. So it's not just from the alkalosis and the left shift from that, there's also an effect on 2,3-DPG that lasts up to eight hours. So giving bicarb is going to make it harder to deliver oxygen to the tissues for up to eight hours. And that's just giving bicarb one time. If you continually give it, if you're pushing amps and amps, it's going to last a very long time where you may have made the patient less acidotic, but you're going to deliver less oxygen to the tissues that need it. Multiple models, as I said, have, in, have shown that bicarb increases lactate production, and this may be partly because of that decreased oxygen delivery that we just discussed. And then, of course, one that we think about all the time is that serum ionized calcium is reduced by giving bicarb. And so, again, that is probably why we see some decreased contractility when we give bicarb, because the calcium is going to get lower. Now, you can offset that partly by giving calcium with your bicarb, but if you're pushing amp after amp after amp of bicarb, it's going to be really hard to keep up with your calcium. All right, so let's sum up. People argue for giving bicarb because they say, especially in post-op cardiac patients, that they have stiff hearts, their heart was just operated on, their heart is weak, and therefore anything that will make the work of the heart easier is good, and they say acidosis makes the work of the heart worse, and therefore giving bicarb to someone who's acidotic will make their heart happy. Again, not shown to be true. Yes, these studies haven't been done specifically in post-op cardiac patients, but there's no reason to think that if it doesn't, if giving bicarb doesn't lower pulmonary pressure, if it doesn't increase cardiac output, if it makes oxygen delivery worse, if it makes intracellular pH more acidotic, that there's no reason to think that it would be any different in cardiac patients. They may do worse because they're getting bicarb after cardiac surgery if they're acidotic. Again, I didn't say this up front, but I do want to stress this we're talking about lactic acidosis here. So Patients who have an acidosis because they're losing bicarb, so if they're losing bicarb because they have diarrhea or an intercutaneous fistula or a renal, renal tubular acidosis where they're losing bicarb, these are perfectly reasonable situations to give bicarb. If you're losing bicarb, then giving bicarb to replace the lost bicarb is totally reasonable. But in lactic acidosis, your body hasn't lost the bicarb. And in fact, when your liver starts clearing lactate, it turns it back into bicarb. So you have not lost it, and therefore replacing it or giving bicarb is not the correct treatment for this problem. In lactic acidosis, giving bicarb worsens the lactate production and has the potential to cause the variety of downsides that we talked about and does not accomplish the things that people wanted to accomplish. So again, people say, give it in cardiac arrest, P 
people will respond better to the epi that you're giving. Hasn't been shown to be true. It'll improve cardiac output. Hasn't been shown to be true. It will lower pulmonary vascular resistance. Has not been shown to be true. There's really no reason, no evidence-based reason to give bicarb in lactic acidosis. There's a lot of reason to think it may be a bad idea. And indeed, at the conclusion of their article, Forsyth and Schmidt suggest that there's probably no threshold at which they would give bicarb. Some people would say, well, if they're, ap- if they're acidotic enough, if it's below 7. But again, no reason to think that there's a benefit there, maybe harm. They do not have any threshold at which they would recommend giving bicarb. And I think that given how freely we give it now, we should really think hard about at least withholding it until patients are very acidotic and maybe withholding it completely if we really want to follow the evidence that exists until we get some randomized trials that really inform us better as to what should what's going on. All right. You can check out these articles at the show notes at acrac.com. Again, maybe you totally disagree with me. Maybe you think we should be giving bicarb all the time. I certainly know some cardiac surgeons who feel that way. And if you feel that way, leave a comment. Leave a comment at acrac.com, A-C-C-R-A-C.com. Let us know what's your evidence. Why do you think giving bicarb is a good thing? Maybe you have certain times when you do give it. Maybe you've seen something happen. Maybe you've read an article that I haven't seen. Leave a comment. Let us know what your practice is, whether you agree or disagree. And remember, also check out the Vanks study. Again, I'll post a link to that in the show notes as well. That's it for this time. For the ACRAC podcast, I'm Jed Wolpaw. Remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.